All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Back after a couple month break, sports calendar ramping up. Good to be talking to you on this sports podcast. Joined now by soon to be departing the Los Angeles region, regular guest on the show, Kent Brown. Kent, thanks for coming back on the program. And uh, yeah, I know it had to do with a lot of those bad bets, right? That you're leaving, like Rocky Three, for example. Yeah, exactly. You win some, you lose some. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't change my idea identity and go out east and start a new life so uh if i'm on the show again i'll have to go by another name but you know what i can make it work and not to mention i want to say very clearly if you listen to our podcast <laughs> back with me you and matt gothard we are not involved in any of that's the indictments with iowa or iowa state athletics at least not yet it's amazing right that that happened i mean not just the incredible foreshadowing but it's iowa and iowa state are the two programs that are in the thick of it and as our boy matt gothard who's you know living comfortably in minnesota now pointed out just a perfect comment like the iowa kicker betting the under is just perfect like it's just you can't beat that yeah, to me, that's like the ultimate sign that the guy knows what he's doing is, you know, all of us always say the under can't be enough in an Iowa game. And then one of their players said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm on the team and I'm just going to bet unders. And I don't think he ever lost. So, you know, to me, it's like, I don't know if that's insider trading or if he was just a very smart better. I would side towards the fact that he watched his team practice all week. He watched his coach's game plan and he said, you know what? We can't score enough points to get this over. It's incredible stuff. Um, you know, not that there's a controversy with gambling, although that seems to be, you know, in the NFL or different leagues, players are getting popped left and right. But, you know, interesting time for that landscape. And, yeah, we were actually texting. I mean, we're going to bounce around today, catch up on a lot of things. But the interesting stuff with Penn gambling and, you know, they sell Barstool back independent and they're partnering with ESPN. It's a, it's a fascinating time for not just the gambling landscape, Kent, but for the media landscape, you felt like ESPN kind of had to do something or Disney, the parent company, had to do something with some of the losses. But I think it could work out, could work out for the better for everyone. Penn gets a more traditional partner and Barstool's back to being that independent you know, type entity. Yeah, if you look at the landscape and, you know, I'm in that landscape with Yahoo. We're partnered with BetMGM and Yahoo Sportsbook. But I know people that, work at ESPN and we're involved in this deal. And it's something where for ESPN's sake, they were partnered with Caesars, but it wasn't like a big deal. And you certainly look at ESPN, the brand that's still the biggest brand in sports. And now you have a sports book that will be ESPN bet. I think that will be a big, that wasn't the be all end all at the end of the day, Barstool was not a sports betting company. They certainly use sports betting as part of their shows. But I do think ultimately when you look at both sides of that, I think it works out well for both. And for ESPN it's going to be interesting because it look ESPN has TV coverage for sec football, ACC football, the big 12 is still partly there along with Fox. They have NBA rights that go all the way to the finals the Stanley Cup finals now are involved with ESPN. It's one of those deals where you start incorporating sports betting into your company. Mm-hmm. There, there's a journalistic side where you have to make sure that people covering the sports are not the ones that are yeah. betting on the teams that they're covering. You know, the same way, like when Kirk Herbstreet doesn't pick his yeah. game day game because he's announcing. All of that stuff's going to have to be out there in the open now, like a little bit more. We know Scott Van Pelt goes down the sports gambling rabbit hole on his show a bunch. They have the 
the daily betting shows that they do on ESPN. I think all of that's fine. But the actual journalist part of ESPN, which is becoming less and less, they still need to make sure that they're not going to be the ones that are saying, hey, I'm covering the (laughs) Cowboys game on Sunday and I'm going to take the Cowboys under. That starts to become a little iffy. But ESPN smart to get involved with this. And with Penn Gaming, there are 16 states they're currently with. I'm sure they have a bunch of states lined up pretty Mm -hmm. quickly that are going to come through. And within the next few months, I think you'll see that grow quite a bit. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think, um, you know, from the journalistic integrity thing, it's not a perfect it's not a perfect thing going on right now. We're all trying to figure out exactly how it works, but we know the the cut and dry stuff. And and Herbshoot's a great example because he's kind of been someone that understands, look, if I'm calling a game, I shouldn't be picking it and, you know, don't want to blur the lines there. So I think uh, I think we'll get there, and I, I think it's good to see Barstool return to kind of what made them what they are. And, you know, Penn and ESPN, I mean, ESPN, we can be critical of certain things, but we want that company there, and it's, you know, it is a mainstay, and it's good for the industry to have them as the Titans. So... I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, Kent also should point out, uh, apologies to your cousin, you know, Kevin Brown for the week he's had. It's funny. I do have a cousin, Kevin, but it comes from one of my mom's sides of the family. He lives up in the Seattle area. Hey, by the, yeah, by the that, way, that's, yeah, that was a whole nother so, news story. So that, that, united, that united the internet like I've never seen before. So if that was the grand plan by the Orioles ownership group, because like, have you ever seen anyone, I mean, sports regardless, but just agree? Like, come in unison? Like, this is ridiculous? Every so often, there's some stories that become that way. But you're right. Even then, there becomes some sort of, like, slight political stance that some people end up having to take no matter what. This was just a clear cut. This was a guy doing, you know, an intro for a game in which he did nothing wrong. And he wasn't even blasting the team. He was basically saying, if anything, the Orioles this year are getting over the hump by actually beating this team in Tropicana field. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the whole thing was weird. The Orioles, I don't understand why they did that in the first place. That's where social media can actually be at an advantage where most of the people would have probably not even heard about this otherwise, unless you live in the DMV. And now it became a national news story in which everybody got behind him. And uh, yeah, hopefully the Orioles realized what they did wrong and they've made it right with him, but you're right. Everyone united. And yeah, it's very rare that we get that even for the simplest of stories. There's usually some slant that somebody has to take. That's a bad position. In this case, everybody kind of saw that the Orioles yeah. were in the wrong. And it's also kind of sucks for the Orioles too. And that, that they're having a hell of a year. Mm-hmm. They're a team that could easily win the world series. And I'm sure that this is not what anybody on the team or the clubhouse wanted uh, for the broadcasters to make such a boneheaded decision like this. So, yeah, just a dumb decision, and uh, I'm glad to see that they were called out for it very quickly and apologized. Yeah, I <laughs> the fact that this happening during a year when they're doing so well is the most bizarre thing to me. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, they've, you know, hopefully the guy Kevin Brown comes back and, you know, unimpeded. But, yeah, just a, just a misstep of all missteps by that ownership group in uh, an iconic year. And baseball being back in the conscious, you mentioned how – the Orioles are having a great year. It's Orioles, Braves, a top baseball right now with some other teams moving. But have to give a shout-out to uh, my guy Jose Ramirez just dropping Tim Anderson. Might have been a lucky flail of a punch, but tough one for Tim Anderson to square up and then uh, just get dropped like that and then kind of disappear. He's kind of gone into hiding a little bit. Oh, yeah, he needed taken off the field and was falling <laughs> over. And uh, 
you know, he was shot, you know, he was hit pretty well there. And it, it was funny because when he dropped his glove, as you said, he squared up. It almost looked like he knew how to fight. And then very quickly, it was pretty evident either he didn't know how to fight or he opened himself up too quickly. And Vermeer is just a nice, uh, you know, little sort of right hand to the jaw there and knocked him out. Yeah. So, uh, and then I also like how the, uh, the Guardians promoted it afterwards where like they had him with the boxing gloves and Francona <laughs> kind of joking about it. And, uh, the pick with him I and Jake Paul doing, yeah, yeah, right. Like, you know, it makes sense to kind of have fun with it. Well, ultimately, yeah, you know, and the it's team, nice to have a player that knows how to fight. Yeah. And the team just doesn't, you know, have a lot of offense anyway. So it's nice. They're getting some power somewhere in there. Uh, and, and also just want to, just want to throw this out there too, in regards to Tim Anderson, Weird to me that he squares up southpaw, like throws right, everything was fine, drops his glove, and then squared up southpaw. You know, kind of opened himself up a little bit. I know I'm nitpicking, but it kind of kind of threw me for a loop. But it's it's nice that baseball kind of going well, and, and what Otani's doing. I mean, geez, he actually might be the greatest of all time. I'm ready to have that discussion. Well, here's the thing that's interesting: is if he if he does this for another year <laughs> or two then I think you'd have to say he's at least the most skilled baseball player ever. Now, will he have the best career? Mm. That remains to be seen because guys have done things for 15, 20 years in Major League Baseball, winning titles, all that does matter. But yeah, in terms of just pure skill, for him to do what he's doing now where he's an upper-end pitcher and he's the best hitter in all of baseball and he's now done it for multiple seasons – I know Babe Ruth apparently back in the day was great at both, and he's clearly one of the best hitters ever, but he wasn't doing it against this caliber of athleticism yeah. in 2023. Well, and he also didn't do it for multiple years whenever you start breaking things down the way Otani is. So, yeah, I think he's in that discussion. Again, probably won't go down as having like the best career all time, but just for like how, how his skill level is, it's hard to say anyone's better because, you know, if you look at a football sense, this would be like a guy being the best receiver in the league and the top edge rusher almost. Yeah. <laughs> There's something crazy like that. You know, like you're the fifth leading sack player and you're Justin Jefferson who's leading the league and receiving. Like right. that just can't happen. And so for Otani to do what he's doing, it's exceptional. I was happy to see him play multiple times over the last few years here, including a couple of times this season. But yeah, it's a treat to watch, and it's cool for the Angels. And sadly, that's kind of all they have because they never end up making the playoffs. And even the one time they made the playoffs with Trout, they didn't win a game. Slip so, right uh, yeah. well, I, I, I think the bigger story will be is where does Otani go in the offseason? What's the if contract? He <laughs> and what's the contract for? I mean, because are you going to give him two, two <laughs> pitcher money and hitter money? I mean, it's going to be crazy. I, I would, you know, I'd agree. I'm just saying I'm willing to have that discussion. Like, it's not like a surefire thing, obviously. I'd also argue, too, Kent, just the final point on this. I mean, baseball does seem like the one, the one sport where you can't really judge with titles because it's such a big roster and how much of an impact does one guy truly make. He might be the exception because he pitches, too, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like titles aren't going to matter as much to me whenever we, you know, settle the duster, which hopefully is a long time from now with his career. Yeah, and again, if he does this for seven, eight more years and still doesn't sniff a title, then of course that changes. But ultimately, when you sort of write the history of any sport, mm -hmm. you generally have to touch upon the postseason and touch upon who's won the championships. And that's where you would think legacy-wise you yeah. would need to get there at some point. But you're right. I mean, if he's doing this for – it's 2031 and we're still saying he's this dominant, 
or he, even if he drops back and he's the fifth best hitter mm-hmm. and the 30th best pitcher, then there's something to that. But uh, for, for now, what he's doing, he at least puts himself in that argument, as you said. And if somebody really wants to make that claim, it's hard to say he's not just based on what he's doing. Going to have to just check and, and monitor if the Angels actually make the playoffs, which isn't looking great right now. But, you know, hey, we'll see. Uh, contract uh, up at the end of the year. A lot of debate and discussion there. More Otani talk for sure in the years to come. All right, Ken, Ken Brown now. want to go to college football because lots happened in our time apart and conference realignment being the main thing. We're, we're gearing up for a power three. And you could say two and a half. You could even say two if you want. But the Pac-12 down to four teams. Starting, starting there, how would, you, how would you summarize the death of the Pac-12 and what exactly you know, went, went wrong, whether it was one fatal blow or just death by a thousand cuts? Yeah, it's more death by a thousand cuts over the last decade with Larry Scott and the Pac-12 network certainly was a complete failure. You know, if you look at the Big Ten Network, that worked up really well, but Fox was always heavily involved. SEC Network always had ESPN guiding it. Even the ACC Network, which is a bad deal on paper for those ACC teams now because it's 2036, at least it's affiliated with ESPN and it's a stable network. You look at the Pac-12 Network, it wasn't on a lot of carriers. Most people did not have it. I noticed... You know, look, we would go to bars here in L.A. for several years and some of them didn't carry it because they they didn't have the right cable system to do it. It was just a complete disaster. So that started it. And then when USC and UCLA decided to sort of have their secret meetings and then leave for the Big Ten, at that point, we kind of knew this conference is over as we know it. Maybe there was a chance that they would bring in. SMU, San Diego State, keep the other teams and have their own sort of version of a Pac-12. But it just wouldn't have been the same without the two L.A. teams. But clearly, as you said, it's the death by a thousand cuts is really what it was, because then the new president comes in. He has this cable deal that ends up being an Apple TV deal in which he says, well, if we get enough subscribers, we can have as many as much money as the SEC Mm. teams have. But we know there's just not the Pac-12 fandoms that care enough to have that many subscribers. And, you know, you have dedicated fan bases at at several of these schools, but it's not how it is in the SEC. It's not how it is in the Big Ten. And again, because you don't have that backing from ESPN or Fox, or even if Turner Sports would have got involved and maybe they had half ownership of some sort of deal, that could have been... I think Oregon and Washington might have stuck around had there been something like that. But instead, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 always been more worried about we're in charge of our rights. We're going to go over and play in Asia. A lot of the stuff that just doesn't translate to college football. And it really backfired. And, uh, you know, I also think it's funny that the Big Ten kind of said, like, they didn't want to swoop in and get Oregon and Washington uh, because they didn't want to be the final death blow to the Big Ten. As soon as they took USC and UCLA, you pretty much were the death blow to that conference <laughs> yeah. for all we know. Well, and yeah. and overall, I mean, the Big 12 was smart. Look, three year, two years ago, when Oklahoma and Texas left for the SEC, it became very evident at that point. And this is before Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston joined. That looked like a dead conference. Well, right, as that's dead. As yeah, the big, the, Dude, don't Pac-12 looked last don't, week. Don't you think and somehow that somehow they recovered? Yeah, don't you think that? If, and I'm glad you brought that up. 
that week, or let's say that month when it was announced they're leaving for sure, finalized, wouldn't the live odds have been that the Pac-12 would survive more more likely than the Big 12 at that time? Oh, yeah, because the Pac-12 yeah. had all 12 members still locked in, and the Big 12 at that point were down to eight teams at that point it was down to eight and not any signature teams either it was a lot of uh, you know your tcu oklahoma state kansas kansas state programs that could easily shuffle somewhere else and nobody would really blink an eye at it and for the bit for the big 12 to not only survive but take those four corner schools of colorado utah and the arizona schools and then add in four national schools, all of which have, you know, a decent football history in some aspect that it's pretty wild. Just how the big 12 turned itself around so quickly. And what's funny is they just pretty much re-upped their TV deal. They didn't go in and make a major change and the pac 12 could have done the same, but the big 12 kind of beat them to the punch Mm -hmm. and then added four more teams and now added four more. Yeah, the, for the Pac-12 to be left where it is is just a complete disaster, and it really was avoidable multiple ways. You know, even if the USC and UCLA thing would have happened, mm-hmm. they still could have had at one point probably those leftover eight Big 12 teams and the rest of their conference. Maybe you lose the two LA teams, and now yeah. you have a very stable Pac-12 or Pac-16 or, or you know whatever it would be. But, yeah, with only four programs left and, frankly, none of them being draws nationally when it comes to football at all, mm-hmm. it's complete dead conference at this point. And you would have to think the Mountain West is probably going to end up getting Washington State and Oregon State. And then I don't know what happens with Stanford and Cal. Maybe they go ACC. I hope if they do, it's only football only. It's so weird to me to think that there'll be ACC for all sports. But who yeah. knows at this point? I mean, it's one of those deals where – we we're we're in agreement where conference realignment is not good for the sport. Uh, it's not good for the fans. It really is good for TV, and that's about it. But at the end of the day, nobody's forcing these college university presidents and board of trustees to just take the TV money. There could be some principle that some of these schools have. Well, we know that's and, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean. we've seen that none of them really I, have I, it. So. I think, look... I'll just I'll summarize a few observations I had because it was like I think we agree this was inevitable when the ball started rolling and I'm not saying I'm not coming from a moral high ground place like this is what was going to happen you know like it's money and TV was driving all this and the conferences are changing I, I think we both come from a place Kent where we love the NFL and we were talking about this we don't you know want college football to be a carbon copy of the NFL there's something cool and unique about it nobody was also talking and I understand why completely I mean, look at the basketball conferences now. You're going to have Kansas and Arizona and the Big 12 together, but it's an afterthought because football is king. Yeah, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a man of you know tradition. I loved watching the Rose Bowl every year and the conference schedules and that were great and the rivalries that were there, and you know things do change, but these giant conferences are going to be you know are going to be interesting to say the least. I think I think that's the first thing. I think how the schedules turn out. I mean, you, you, we had the funny comment, right? Can't like the big 10 pod of, of all pack 12 teams. Like that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It could very easily be sort of your Western division and there are like your Western pod. Then you kind of get your like little Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska type of pod. And, you know, I guess you would probably throw in, you know, Penn state Rutgers, Maryland, and, 
at that point, maybe Michigan State, and then you have your kind of your your leftover with. Well, I guess there's 18, so I don't even know how they split it up. I was thinking four, 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 mm-hmm. but it's actually 18 teams now. Well, so I don't quite know how you pull that off. How do you what overall do you, though? Yeah. Look. Yeah, good. I'll say this: I understand that it's going to create some fun matchups. And it's going to make for some interesting TV, as you said. But I don't think that's better for the sport when you look at the fact that week to week was where college football had its moments. You can say what you want about the NFL. The NFL is a way bigger sport. It's way more popular. But week to week, the games don't have the value that college football games did. And we were already moving to a 12-team playoff where that was going to make the week to week way less. But now you even, when you have 18 teams in a conference, that's not really a conference at that point. No. You know, there's that's no what way Chip Kelly said was, team in your wasn't conference. that far off. Chip Kelly's like, just go, let's just do one conference. Who cares? <laughs> it's not that far off from where we are with 18. It really isn't. Right, right. At this point, it's kind of funny. Like, And I saw somebody tweet about this. It was one of the writers, maybe Stuart Mandel. But one of them said, you know, you look at the ACC now potentially adding Cal, Stanford, SMU, like, why not just add like 12 more teams and just might as well do a, you know, 28 or 30 team conference at this point, because there's no difference between eight. I thought 16 was the most, and you could have made 16 work where you had like your three games or your two rivals, then you play six and six and you get to play everyone every other year. You could justify something like that. But 18 teams, there's no difference between 18 to 24, between 24 and 30. So at this point, I do think it's kind of heading towards that. As you said, Mm -hmm. it's either going to be three or four, but more than likely two major leagues, so to speak, probably not even conferences, and then some sort of rationale about how they sort of go about all this. And it'll be way different. We'll obviously keep watching, but... It, I think that this year is kind of the real final year of like what college football has mm-hmm. been. And then 2024 basically becomes a professional Fox versus ESPN driven <laughs> entity yeah. that, uh, yeah. that again, is kind of sad for a lot of fan bases because, and you know, it's not just that you lose some rivalries, but you also just, the, the whole regionality of college football was great where you would have like the Pac-10 back when, when when we were kids, had a different style than the Big 12. And the SEC had a different style than the Big right. 10. And then the ACC was kind of, you know, different sort of teams. It was basically Florida State just kicking everyone's ass for 15 years. But realistically, the Big East even had certain entities that were charming. And now everything's pretty similar. There's not really a standout style that goes on for one conference over the other. And it sucks, but, you know, it's one of those things. It's life. And we'll have to see how things pan out because my guess is the ACC is going to add. It wouldn't shock me if the Big 12 or the Mountain West kind of try to add in some facets again as well. Yeah. And maybe Conference USA I, I, died yeah. now. I, I feel like there for the Open. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see where I it mean, goes. there's still some dominoes, and there'll, there'll still be football. Like, we're not going to stop watching, obviously. That notion's ridiculous. But I do think, you know, where it goes from here and what the what the playoff goes. I mean, we haven't even hit the 12-team playoff, but obviously, and that could be our final note here, that has to be reworked because, you know, the SEC and Big Ten specifically 
are going to put up with the format as currently <laughs> dictated with some auto bids. And every time you run through what the playoff would have been last year with an actual power five, you know, it just brings up the point that something needs to be restructured at this point. Exactly. The Big Ten and the SEC, a.k.a. Fox and ESPN, are going to be calling the shots. And we know the next two years, when 2024 and 2025, we know what's locked in. It's already agreed upon. It's still ESPN who owns all of that. Starting 2026, we have no idea if CBS gets involved, if Turner Sports gets involved, if Fox outbids everybody and it's a Fox entity. My guess is it will be kind of how the NFL is where it's multiple partners. And, but as you said, if it's big 10 and sec and let's be real, that's who's dictating the sport. Now, why would they want a Sunbelt team or a mountain West team? Or frankly, both teams getting in the playoff when you could have a nine and three Penn state or a nine and three Wisconsin or nine and three Texas A&M that on paper, that looks like a record that shouldn't be in a playoff. But then those three losses are to three playoff teams or, or two teams that are ranked in the top four. And then a team that's eight and four, a little bit below them. Why would those, those conferences say, yeah, you know what? We're good with that team being out so that coastal Carolina and San Jose state can get in mm -hmm. instead that just doesn't make sense to me. And TV wise, if you talk about TV, it's all about big matchups. And the reason Cal and Stanford weren't called to the big 10 and the reason Oregon and Washington weren't called last year to the big 10 were because they weren't the TV draws the way UCLA and That's USC true. were and Oklahoma and Texas were, are you telling me the Fox and ESPN are going to say, yeah, we don't want Miami or Florida State, or Texas A&M, or Michigan, or Penn State to be in the playoff. Instead, we want <laughs> yeah. Georgia State, or yeah. Appalachian State, they can get the or, auto bid. or Boise State. Yeah, we want them to be in. That doesn't make any sense. You want that Penn State 11 seed, USC 12 seed, Notre Dame 12 seed. You, do really, you don't want there to be... You know, a uh, Wyoming yeah. 12 seed who's going to lose by 40 points in the first round. Yeah, that's just not something. And that's what we will see the next two years. We're going to see 2024 and 2025. That's just going to be how it is for two years. And maybe we'll see some ra random ass teams make it. But when it comes to the 2026 playoff and beyond, I have a feeling Fox, a.k.a. the Big Ten and ESPN, a.k.a. the SEC, they're not going to want any part of those no. like lesser teams. Maybe they keep it where they go five. And so maybe one of them gets in every year, but not at this point, not six. And frankly, you probably should just go best 12. And if two of them in the big East or sorry, the big 10 or the sec end up being by teams, then that's fine. Like last year, Ohio state would have by default been the four seed. But un under the system, they would have had to fall to the sixth seed. Mm -hmm. That could happen for two years. But going forward, right? Do these conferences really want the Big Twelve champ to always have a bye? No. And for the ACC, and, and champ that's to and that's the thing. I'm I mean, so I, sure. I think it should be a fluid situation, and uh, it will be because we've seen that things can change on a dime. It doesn't have to be the thirty-year, twenty-year wait or whatever for a scheduling thing to show up. So. We're going to be fans. We're going to see what happens. It, it is going to make for a very, very wild final season of traditionalism in college football. A lot of animosity, a lot of final rivalry games or final as we know it rivalry games. So 
A lot to monitor there. Uh, Kent Brown, I, I did want to say we're, we're going to table the NFL talk for later. You know, we just got training camp and everything going on there. So I wanted to end it with uh, your thoughts on your Penguins getting Eric Carlson. I'm excited. Look, it's one of those deals where the Penguins are trying to retool their lineup. They were able to get rid of, frankly, a lot of dead weight or guys that were not key contributors. And then you bring in, you know, a really skilled offensive defenseman. I get it. Penalty kill, probably not going to help much. But on the power play, he'll be a huge asset. And, you know, the Penguins are still trying to ride with a veteran, older team. And we know that Odds are they probably aren't going to be winning a cup with this unit going forward. But overall, it's an exciting addition. Mm -hmm. I think it was a great trade. And look, maybe one or two more years left with this kind of Crosby, Malkin, Latang-led unit. And if you can add another guy on the power play that can really maybe, you know, just make the team more exciting. Last year's Penguins team was pretty tough to watch. They blew a lot of, you know, multi-goal led games and, you know, down the stretch, all they had to do is beat some helpless teams and they could not get it done. You know, I do think that this makes for a more exciting team and overall a team that's going to be way more fun to watch. And at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like what my buddy Dave Damashek said on his minus three podcast. They're just going to be a more fun team to watch. And if they don't win the cup, I at least want to enjoy putting them on for 82 games a year (laughs) and hopefully some playoffs where last year was kind of like, it was kind of like tough to watch for a lot of those games. And that's not what you want out of the team you cheer for. So, yeah. And you pointed out a lot of great things there. I want to just kind of illustrate, you know, this is, you know, a move to satisfy the franchise superstar hall of fame talent that they have. And I understand why you do that. Crosby is still playing at a very high level. Malkin has a lot left in the tank. Last year, you know, as a Pens fan, what lost them, what made that season a disaster down the stretch was the lack of, you know, additional support behind those guys. Not that they were aging necessarily. I don't think this move makes them a, a cup contender in my book. It definitely makes them better. They still have weaknesses, but I don't know what the market was like. They traded a lot of spare parts for a generational Hall of Fame guy. Now, now the nitpicking in hockey is they still have some weaknesses, right? They still have some you know, size issues and, and defensive issues on their back line because Carlson is way more of an offensive player. But they got better. They owed it to Crosby and Malkin to go and make a move to get them better. I don't see a problem with that. And I, and I don't really know what else they could have done at this point. Who else is out there to make a deal for at the price that they paid? So I understand the deal. And look, and, and that's the thing, right? Like they've won the city Stanley Cups. Like you're not judging it on like a Toronto situation where if Toronto does a deal like this, you're like, we still haven't won. Does this make us more likely to win it? This is the price you pay and the deserved and happy price you pay for having you know all the success that Crosby and Malkin and Latang brought you. Yeah, it's well said. And again, yeah, are they now a top three team in the Eastern Conference? I don't think so. They're probably more like that five to ten range Mm -hmm. where, you know, you get them in the first round. They might be good enough to win one round and then you hope for the best Mm -hmm. after that. But, yeah, it just, you know, again, it makes them a more exciting team. They still have those those pieces, as you said, and they do owe it to the Crosby, the Malkin, the Tangs to be like, you know, we're going to give you something that we go into the season feeling better like about. Like and gonna, this obviously yeah. is that. 
is yeah. that trade. They're going to, like, and Dubas comes over from Toronto, and, like, he makes deals, and he's not just going to stand pat, which, you know, maybe his predecessor did. But but I think the biggest, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is, like, look, everybody's on board with this, right? We're going to empty the tank when Crosby's here. And, and everyone knows that there's going to be a dip. Like, there will be a rebuild, when you know, in a couple years. And that's okay. I mean, it's better to just do this and go for it one final push than bleed out slowly, like maybe a team like Chicago did recently, although they got, you know, struck goal with the lottery. But I don't, I don't mind the deal. I mean, it's going to be exciting to see him playing, you know, with Crosby and all this stuff. And if he stays healthy, they could be exciting. But, yeah, I think there's levels to it. It's a trade that makes them better. It's not a bad trade at any slightest, but does it address their weaknesses entirely you could say no as well so i think it's a fun trade to get life into a team that yeah lost to the blackhawks down the stretch and really started the whole four to run yeah exactly yeah that, yeah that last week was a brutal week and uh the panthers definitely capitalized off that poor penguins team where they just needed to kind of sew up some loose ends and sneak in and instead they started their uh golf season a little bit early so uh yeah, it's just look. I'm I'm excited to watch them play. I hope that they make one more run with this unit. It would be great if you know Crosby and Malkin can get to like an Eastern Conference Finals one more time and kind of you know have that potential mm-hmm. hope. But realistically, as you said, if they don't ever get there and they're more like a borderline playoff team that's fun to watch for most of the season, it's not the worst thing either. I mean, no. we we've had a good run as Penguin fans to be like. If for some reason things are mediocre now for the next 10 to 15 years, which I hope isn't the case, but if that is the case, so be it. You know, I mean, in my lifetime, you can make a pretty strong argument that the Penguins have had the most talented player in the world just about every year (laughs) that I've lived. So, uh, yeah, on on, on that level, it's kind of like eventually that's not going to be the case. I would, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to put him over the McDavid and the talent sphere, but I mean, you've oh, had, McDavid now is passed. You've had a ten year, you had ten years. You know, that's a pretty good run. That's everyone will take that. But yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, and yeah, look, you got the success. You're not greedy. You're approaching it the right way. So we'll see. Hockey season around the corner as well. Lots going on in the calendar. Uh, Kent Brown, always a pleasure. One more question I have for for you, Mitch. Just speaking of hockey, you mentioned the Maple Leafs. We're on this Oilers train where we know the Oilers eventually have to get over the hump. Which of those two teams, if you just had to guess, gets to a cup final first? Oilers or Maple Leafs? Oilers. I would go Oilers. Oilers, yeah. And I think part of it is, well, I mean, there's two parts to this. One, I just think the East is a little deeper right now. And I think the other part of it is the Oilers have been closer by a considerable margin when you consider that they've won series. And the teams that they've lost to, I know, granted, Toronto lost to Florida last year, but they went out in you know kind of kind of tough fashion. But I do feel like the Oilers, you can make a case. I mean, they were clearly like the number two team for the last couple of years in the Western Conference, you know, losing to eventual Cup champs the last two times. I think Toronto has more issues, and it also is roster management. I mean, the the problem that Toronto's had is they gave four guys like all their money, and they're not Connor McDavid or Dr- I mean. Is Matthews better than Dreisaitl? Probably by a little bit, but it's not crazy. So so if you were going to break down the talent roster, McDavid's one, Matthews, Dreisaitl in that 2-3 range. You know, the other players, Marner and Tavares got that big deal, obviously, there as well, but um, and Nylander, but I just think that the roster construction's bad and the, and, the, and the Leafs might lose Matthews. I think they're not as close by, by you know, I think it's by a decent margin I would go Oilers. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I just, it's always kind of a internal debate with hockey fans now because those two teams get so much hype year after year now. And it's like one of them eventually might have to get there the way the avalanche did two years ago and the way you sort of see some stars step up. But yeah, those are the two right now as uh, we will see, but I'm with you. I think the Oilers probably are the one that gets there first. If I, if I, if I would have to mm-hmm. put some money on it. Well, Ken Brown, always a pleasure. Uh, even though you're, you know, departing the region that I live in, we'll still be doing some of these podcasts as a way to connect and keep it going. And uh, yeah, as the football season turns, there's going to be a lot to discuss too. So thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Always a blast. Absolutely. I'll see you in November for our buddy's wedding, and uh, we will have some fun that time, and hopefully uh, watch some good football. That's a, it's a hell of a weekend that we'll be seeing. And you know, before we know it, the NFL season's here, and college football is basically here now. So, uh, mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe at that point, Ohio State will be in the SEC, mm-hmm. and yeah. Alabama will be in the Mountain West, and everything will be changed <laughs> again. You never know. Saban will just still keep winning somehow, too. Uh, Kent Brown, always a blast. This was the Money Mitch Effect. We're on all your podcast platforms. Check it out. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, everything, wherever podcasts are. We have a lot to discuss going forward. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. For Kent Brown, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later.